Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session number two, the dangers of doubting. Straight talk about the sinfulness of spiritual wavering. Many of us feel like we are victims to doubt. It's like, oh yeah, I just have doubts. And it is if it's your personality issue that you have. And you know, doubt is a result of many different factors in life, but it's very, very important for you to recognize that it's sin. I mean, I could give you all sorts of other sins like gossip and slander, you know, that you could say, oh, I'm just a victim of it. However, it's still sin. Gluttony, if you grew up in a home which, you know, you, caused you to gorge on food all day long every day, well, guess what? Yeah, it could be a, a, a result of your upbringing, but guess what? It's still sin. And so as a result, that means it's breaking down your soul. It's causing you to turn to the first life instead of to the second as your salvation. And anything that is, has the residue of the first life is exactly, precisely what the gospel sets us free from. And doubt is a first life phenomenon. It is not a second life, a second birth phenomenon. Abraham, the man who had no children. What's amazing about this, you all probably know the story of Abraham. Abraham is sort of the beginner of this whole lineage of the Hebrew nation of, of what becomes known as the Israelites and the Jews and so Abraham, the man who had no children, what's amazing about that is his name means something very specific. Well, I'll, neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram. So God himself gives him this name. But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Here's what his name means. Father of a numberless multitude. Father of so many you can't even count them. That's what his name means. Isn't that an extraordinary name for a guy who can't have any children? This is how God works. The name that he's given to our life defies everything from where we've come in the past. This is your previous past. This is your history. It talks loudly. It makes a big statement. It's called your experience. However, God's fact, his word, his promise must be greater and more weighty in your life. Are you going to believe your experience and your past or are you going to believe God's promise? If God says that you're going to be a father of many nations, what do you say? It's God. He can't lie. I believe it. What does it say of Abraham? Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. By the way, his son Isaac, that name means laughter. And said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? But what does it say in Romans? So maybe his start with hearing the promise of God wasn't you know, overly faith-filled. But what does it say in Romans 4? Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. If God said it, then I believe he's able to perform it. 
So Abraham is in a situation where his experience states, how in the world could that ever happen? The natural realm defies it. And yet, God's word is speaking on the other side. You're in between. Which way are you going to go? This is how the two trees work. Faith has to choose which one it believes. It cannot play in the middle. It cannot have a little toe over here and lean its weight in this direction. So here's what Abraham does. That's my guy leaping. He's literally jumping. He is giving himself wholly and fully to the promise of God. The promise of God. What does this side say? But that's impossible. Get used to it. Christians, God is the God of the impossible. What we do as modern Christians, we have a tendency to diminish the promise of God because we evaluate it based on its plausibility. I don't care about its plausibility. I care about if God promised. That's how faith works. What's happened to this sort of faith? The sort of faith that just takes God's word and says, I believe it. If God promised, he's able to perform it. So when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Will he find pistis? Will he find this substance that literally gives itself wholly and fully to the word of truth, to the promises of God? Little boy certainty. So it's uh, probably when I'm 10 years old, I get a gift. Well, we'd gone through Christmas morning, and we had all asked for a VCR. This was like the big deal. It was a VCR. It was like our dream as a family. I had asked my dad every day for months leading up to Christmas, could we have a VCR? Even the smell of videotapes and VCRs still to this day triggers all sorts of thoughts for me. And, and so I, I was just so excited. I had this idea that my dad was going to do it. I mean, I, how many times can you ask? And you, you read that scripture about, you know, fathers giving, you know, good gifts to their children. And so, you know, there's an expectation that's being built here. And so the day comes, we don't get a VCR, but my dad, at the very conclusion, pauses and for effect says... <clears throat> By the way, guys, why don't you check in the back of my car? There's something there. We all look at each other. We go running out. We're giving high fives. This is huge. This is a big deal. And guess what? The box was shaped exactly as it should. It was weighed exactly as it should be weighed. And oh, it was so exciting. We brought it in and everyone surrounded it. And then we started ripping it open. It was a typewriter. (laughs) Still to this day, my poor dad has not been able to live that one down. The typewriter. Talk about a hope deferred that made the heart sick. Oh! It simply had to be. What does our experience do? When you now see that box and God comes and he says, no, no, I have good gifts for you. Is it like one of those type of gifts? Is this going to be a typewriter, God? You see, your experience speaks very loudly in your life. And this semester, as the new students are arriving, you're going to begin to recognize you carry around a lot of experience. How you handle that experience is going to define your success or failure in the kingdom of heaven. Faith under siege. The trending of hip doubt. There is a movement in Christianity towards doubts. And it's cool, actually. That's why I'm calling it hip doubt. It's actually cool. You you are deemed to have cool points if you say, yeah, I, I struggle with believing this stuff. But I still do. You know, some days I believe it, some days I don't. Yeah, it's just the way it works in Christianity. That isn't actually how it works. One of the leading writers today won the Gold Medallion Award for his book on faith, by the way, which says that doubt is the skeletal structure on which faith sits. Uh, No, that isn't actually true, Mr. Yancey. It does not set on a skeletal structure of doubt. It sets on the skeletal structure of promise. 
Faith is based on something sound and solid. And by the way, you don't want to try and stand on doubt in a day of testing. It is not going to hold you up. And then you have Doubt Nights, a new phenomenon in the church started by Rob Bell, where we celebrate doubt. Oh, come forward and share your story of doubt. We'll make the microphone open. You'll notice at Ellerslie, I will never make the microphone open for you to share your story of doubt. However, if we want to have a faith night and share the testimonies of what God has done when we believed and how he was faithful, oh, I'm interested in that. What are we doing in Christianity? Faith is the essence of how we move forward and triumph in Christianity, and yet we are celebrating that which kills it. It's like a novocaine to the soul of the modern Christian. The triumphant return of faith, understanding fact, faith, and experience. Now, here I have this illustration, so this might be a little confusing. Uh, I'm going to change the illustration to be this direction because during Ellerslie, you'll see me do this a lot, so we might as well keep it constant this whole semester. It's three characters. By the way, I share this story a lot. Three characters. The first one's name is fact. The second one's name is faith. The third one's name is experience. And they're all commissioned to walk a ridgepole. Now, it might not sound difficult. However, this is like a razor edge ridgepole. It's impossible to actually walk. And so the first character, fact, which is another name for truth, by the way, that which is without lie, that which is without exaggeration. It's just fact. Most of us don't ever think of the Bible being fact. Two plus two equals four. That's a fact. And yet it's also truth. In other words, it is inviolable. It is unchanging, immutable. It is always that way. It's always been that way. And for all eternity, it's an amazing thought. But two plus two will still equal four. I had uh, someone tell me, no, it doesn't always equal four. I'm like, okay, excuse me. And they go, if you have two bananas and you have two oranges and you put them together, you still only have two bananas. All right. It still is four things. Two plus two equals four. And I'm going to stand on that. You can stand on your funny rendition of it. I'm going to stand on that. Okay, so we have fact. And fact gets up there to walk the ridgepole, and guess what it does? I just said that it was impossible, right? But fact, just without even wobbling, walks it. It's truth. Truth is able to accomplish something that nothing else can. Well, who's the next character? Faith. This is where you come in. If you fix your gaze to fact, to the truth, and start walking, you know what you're going to find? You can walk the ridgepole. You're, you're sitting here thinking, well, I thought you said it was impossible. Well, it is. But if you focus on fact, on that which overcomes that which is impossible and makes it possible, you will gain balance and actually walk the ridgepole. Life would be very easy if there was only one tree, and that tree was truth, the tree of life but there's two. And this other tree, we'll call it experience right now. It makes a lot of noise. Serpent hangs from it, goes, hey, remember Aunt Martha? She prayed, nothing happened. Remember Uncle Harold? Oh, yeah. You know, he was a Christian, but look at his life. You got noise, and it's loud. So you're trying to focus on fact, but you got all this noise back here. When you turn around and consult experience and don't consult faith, don't consult fact. What you find is that you will lose balance. Experience will fall off the ridgepole and you'll follow suit and land in that pile of manure. You know that pile of manure you spent most of your life in? Mm-hmm, that one. It's rather frustrating when you're down in the manure looking back at that ridgepole going, oh, if only I could live that. You're supposed to be walking it. But the secret to walking it is you must keep your gaze fixed on fact. What does God say? If you do, 
you gain balance. Now, here's the secret. Some of you are saying, well, what about experience? Is our experience supposed to go opposite and always stand, you know, always hang out in a pile of manure at the base of the barn? No. You want to know how to get your experience to line up with fact? I'm going to tell you. Ignore it. Fix your gaze on fact and start walking. What's going to happen is experience, if you stop listening to it, is going to start to gain balance. And then it will start to walk. Experience always follows faith when faith follows fact. If faith follows fact, experience will begin to line up and your life will begin to prove this to be true. I just enunciated for you, in the most basic sense, how Christianity functions. So our word for doubt in the New Testament is a word called diacrino. It means to side against something. You see, this is not a lightly held word. When you doubt God, you are actually siding against him. It's the equivalent of turning your back on God. It means to ally with one over against another, to forsake a previous allegiance. So, yeah, God, I'm with you on this. Oh, what? what's that? Oh, yeah, sorry, God, I need to check this out. It's to literally forsake a previous allegiance that you had with God. God, I'm with you. I believe your word. Oh, except for in this situation. And to waver in support of one candidate and vote in support of another. God, I'll vote for you come November 4th. I'm with you. Well, that's a good argument. And so in the polls, you close the little black curtain and vote in support of the serpent's message. Oh, do not do that. Which side are you on? Are you with the serpent or are you with the truth? You pick, because this is how Christianity functions. You cannot play the middle. You cannot look over here and look over here and go back and forth and part of your life be subservient to the enemy's lies and part of your life be subservient to truth. You either serve truth or serve the devil. You make that decision because we're not playing patty cake. We're not playing halvesies here. We're playing all in because that's what faith is. So here we'll call it the wall of doubts. No, no, don't grab that fruit. The word of the liar. But look at this experience. But you can't truly be confident in this. The enemy is always attempting to undermine the word of God. Come on, listen to me. Take this. You see, eating isn't always just for pleasure. It's intellectual as well. And when you come to the enemy and entertain his thoughts and his philosophies and his ideas, it's the equivalent of grabbing from that tree afresh. So if you're going to say that you're with Jesus, you cannot continue to eat this fruit because it means to side against God. That's what doubting is. So here we have someone doubting God. They are literally taking the word of the liar as if it's truth. They are believing the word of the liar. You know, we always talk about believing the word. Yeah, that's what we are. We're Christians. We're believers. That means we do the work of faith. Well, that's not to believe the liar. That is to believe the truth. So we as Christians are defined by the fact that we believe truth. Introducing the slick attorney. Boo. Okay, let's try it again. Introducing the slick attorney. Boo. You see, you're thinking of a tree over here. However, this tree has a personality. He has a voice. And he's always yammering. He's always talking. And if you were to give him a characterization, he's that one over here with the pungent cologne. The guy doesn't know when to stop sticking it on. He just overdoes it. Okay, he's just like, whoa, what is that? Oh, that's the slick attorney. That's the liar over here. You see, have you ever noticed you're driving down the road and there's these billboards of liars? Uh, you know, they're always promising you different things they can get you in a court of law. 
You know, they just don't look trustworthy. And yet, why? They somehow are making a business out of this. Are you going to trust that guy? Obviously, someone is. So he's that one over here with the pungent cologne, the slicked back, greasy hairdo. In fact, if you look close, there's a big blob of grease, you know, streaming down his face. The disturbing, toothy grin. It's not a real smile. It's the, hey, I got something for you. And he never stops yammering. He's always talking. That's what we have over here. This yammering, slick attorney is constantly telling us to look at his wares. Come on, I got some information for you that God's not going to tell you. He, it doesn't mention this in the Bible. Did you know that there's other books that were supposed to be in the Bible, but this you know, band of gray-headed men in the 300s actually nixed them out? There's all sorts of reasons we should doubt the credibility of this book. This guy is a liar. And unless you understand the truth, the lies actually sound credible. But who's talking to you? Who's the one speaking? So we have the slick attorney over here, and we have truth over here, otherwise known as Jesus Christ. Which one are you going to turn to? Don't tell me you believe in Jesus Christ and then listen to the slick attorney all day long. Who do you follow? If you want to follow the slick attorney, follow the slick attorney. We're not doing that around here, though. We're following Jesus Christ here. And Jesus Christ, his message, his truth is captured in this book. Weighing the evidence. So the concept of faith is oftentimes associated with eyesight. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat. So you're in a court of law and the enemy is setting out his argument. He's saying, look at this. You actually think that this is bad for you? This actually is going to help you. That's exactly what the enemy's doing constantly. See, the enemy's not stupid. He's not going to say something that's so obvious. He's going to take part truths and twist them. And God is also giving his argument. However, he doesn't argue the way the slick attorney does. He just sort of sets it down. And he says, you can trust me. And yet this guy's always talking. He has something to cover up. He's always changing his tune, too, if you've ever noticed. So how about beholding the truth? Behold, which means to see, to discern, to inspect, and to examine. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Behold the cross. See it. Can you argue that? God himself came to this earth and became a servant to wash your feet to give you salvation. Why are you going to listen to this? Behold, see with your soul what God has done for you. Forsake this. Empty it out. So here's our marching orders. No diacrino. No doubting. We do not doubt the living God. Do not examine the lying lawyer's evidence. So the evidence is going to be held up. Now, if you are standing here, sort of like this, going, hmm, mm-hmm, I see what you're saying, God. Yeah, okay. You see, if you stand like this, you will be duped, and you will be wooed by the lying lawyer. However, there's a position I want to begin to encourage you to take. It looks a little like this. You see, instead of turning your back on God, I actually want you to turn your back on the enemy. Your experience, how you feel about things. I don't care how you feel. I care about what God says. You're going to find that I I might come across as a very unfeeling person. I I do feel. But I don't care about your experience. I don't care about your emotions and all the things that go with this side. I care about what the truth says because there's only one thing that sets you free, and it's not a hug from Eric Ludy. It's truth that sets you free. So if I'm going to truly love you, I'm not just going to hug you in your doubt. I'm going to feed you truth and that which will set you free from your doubt. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt, 
In other words, has no diacrino in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. You're going to notice in, 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 this, in the word of God, it makes it very clear. You can't go back and forth. You can't turn side to side. That's a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. When you believe, you believe. Faith is aimed in a singular direction and doesn't budge from it. I believe. What about all this noise over here? I don't care. It's not going to set me off my course of faith. You know what it says of Abraham? I read this earlier, but look at what it says. He staggered not. You know what the word staggered not means? It means he had no diacrino. He had no doubt. He did not waver back and forth. Oh, I like you, God. Oh, that's a good point, enemy. Oh, but God, what, yeah, I'd like to believe that, but look at this evidence over here. I know it doesn't sound like a fair court of law, but you literally don't even listen to this attorney. All right, case closed, God spoke. And the enemy's like, hey, I still have stuff to say. No, you don't. God spoke. That's all that matters to me. That's how we handle it. So he staggered not at the promise of God. Doubting God's word, the barrier to truth. If you want to hinder your Christian life, start doubting this book. It's that simple. Don't believe God's word. What happens? Erosion of soul. It's called death. The day in which you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. The truth shall make you free. So the lie shall lock you away in everlasting chains. It's that simple. This lie, if you believe it, if you start partaking of it, it kills you. The wages of sin is death. The wages or the fruit or the reward of believing is life. So if you want to live, eat of this truth. Partake of it. Behold it. See it. Know it. Hold on to it. Empty this. Give it up. Pour it out so that you can hold on to this. Repent. Believe. So here we have everlasting chains. I don't know why anyone would ever pick of that fruit, but people do. There's a wall of doubt, and it's blocking our ability to take of the tree of life. You see, when you doubt, you cut off the avenue for life. You are literally choosing which faucet to open. You're opening up poison water in your life and literally turning off life-giving water. Don't do that. The seriousness of the command. To entertain doubt is to stand against the truth. To show hospitality in the slightest degree to the pleas of the lying lawyer is to make a place for the enemy. To fix the eyes of your soul on the deceiver's evidence is to lend it credence and power in your life. E.M. Bounds, one of my favorite writers on prayer, says, Doubt should never be cherished, nor fears harbored. Let none cherish the delusion that he is a martyr to fear and doubt. It is no credit to any man's mental capacity to cherish doubt of God, and no comfort can possibly derive from such a thought. Our eyes should be taken off self, removed from our own weakness, and allowed to rest implicitly upon God's strength. A simple, confiding faith, living day by day and casting its burden on the Lord, each hour of the day will dissipate fear, drive away misgiving, and deliver from doubt. And he that doubts, or he that shows diacrino, is damned if he eat. Paul is in the middle of an argument in Romans of talking about the weak conscience and how we live. And he, he's basically saying, hey, guys, if to eat this, and it's not in faith, it's not in confidence that God, that's God's food and he's given it to you, if you're wondering about that and you're living in a weak conscience, you will actually be damned if you eat it. It's a strange statement that he makes. But he's, you say you're damned if you eat, if, you, if you're doubting as you're doing it, because he eats not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you are eating anything, and I'm talking about ideas, uh, different philosophies, different notions, if you're taking anything and you're not eating it of faith in the word of God, it kills you. But when you eat out of faith and you partake of the word of God, you live. And so, whatsoever is not of faith 
is sin. That's interesting. Whatever is not of this disposition, I believe, is sin. How does faith function? Oh, there it is. There's faith for you. What's the guy reaching for? Oh, he's reaching for that which Jesus has made available. You see, he believes it. He says, this is where I'll find life. Now, look where the wall is now. I know it sounds funny, but the wall moved. The wall moved behind him. You see, there is a wall of diacrino. You're going to doubt something. You just need to make sure you're doubting what the liar is saying and not what God is saying. So all other saviors, we turn from them. Faith is an exclusive covenant relationship between the eyesight of the human soul and its lone source of truth, the word of God. Faith can allow no reticence to remain, no loyally remonstrance from the flesh to be heard, no evidence from the natural to be brought before the judge of the mind. Faith is exclusivity of thought, deliberate choosing to deafen to the loyally counsel, railings, accusations, concerns of the flesh. Faith is the spiritual discerning of God's way and then the bold movement forward in it. If God says it, I'm going to believe it. I'm literally going to turn down all volume. I'm going to deafen to this voice. I will not listen to it. Faith is a resolve of soul to believe. God said it. He cannot lie. I, for one, believe it. Faith is complete and utter confidence in the ability of God to perform that which he has promised to perform. It does not waver or hesitate, cower or retreat, even in the face of the most gross and insurmountable natural obstacles. Faith is wholly given to the opinion of God and trusts it implicitly. Faith is fiercely loyal to the word of God, and even at the risk of public ridicule, it is willing to put all its chips on God and live. Lazarus has fallen sick. Jesus makes a declaration. We're going to call this the word of God. And he says, this sickness will not end in death. Pretty clear, isn't it? So if you heard that, what would that mean to you? This sickness will not end in death. Right? It's not that confusing. So Jesus' word has spoken. The, the, the promise has been made. And yet, what is the natural realm saying? Lazarus is <clears throat> still sick. Jesus leaves town. Can't you see the father saying, come here, Jesus? And he's like, what? but Lazarus is still sick. Follow me, trust. And so Lazarus leaves Bethany, and Lazarus dies. So could you imagine being Mary and Martha? Here you're standing in the middle. You have Jesus' word over here, and you have the natural realm over here. What what do you think the slick attorney is saying? So much for the promise of Jesus. Oh, he can heal all sorts of people, but obviously he doesn't care about his best friend. Uh, you know, when someone says this sickness is not going to end in death, usually that would mean that someone doesn't die. Lazarus is dead. Have you taken notice? How do you think Mary and Martha are doing? Let me ask you this question. How are you doing? Because this is Christianity. I want you to know up front that in Christianity, there will be things taking place on this side of the ledger that will try and challenge the clear word of Scripture. You must not listen to it. And I don't care if the body is stinking in the grave. Your job is to believe the word of God. Could you imagine how hard that would be? Day one, Lazarus is wrapped in grave claws. A stone is rolled in front. He's a dead man. But Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. Uh, It's uh, it's the second day. Uh, You know what? I think we could call this an end in death. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Uh, you know, it's been three days. Uh, you know, I would start to prepare yourself emotionally for a little disillusionment here. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Where are you at? Are you wavering? 
Are you like a wave tossed to and fro? Are you going to change your vote, Jesus? I was with you, but in this situation, I'm going to have to vote this way. The enemy's right. Is the enemy right or is the enemy a liar? What happens on day four? Who shows up in town? Jesus. He looks and he says, which tree are you looking at? Do you believe my word or not? Roll away the stone. But, but Jesus, he's stinking. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth! This sickness will not end in death. It's been spoken. It's established because our God cannot lie. The question is, do you believe it or not? Because this voice will yammer. It will make noise. The natural realm will attempt to defy this. And yet, who rules over the natural realm? The one who created it. He is right. You put your confidence in him. He has spoken, he has promised, and he is very able to perform it. Grabbing a hold of the promiser and not letting go. Jacob wrestled not so much with the promise as with the promiser. When you're grabbing a hold of this side, it's not impersonal. It's not just a book. It's a person. You're grabbing a hold just like Jacob did of the man of God. You're grabbing a hold of God himself. You're saying, I will not let go until I see this come true. The promiser. There's four things I want to introduce you to about the promiser. He cannot lie. He will not change. He is the same forever. And he is eager to answer. You know that your faith rests in that fact? You see, the fact that he cannot lie is going to become very important to you as we progress in discipleship. Because if he can lie, boy, what can you be certain of? But he cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Because why? He's truth. If you're truth, that means there is no lie in you. He cannot lie. So when he speaks... Guess what? He will not change. So the word that he spoke 2,000 years ago is still valid today because he spoke it. And he cannot lie and he cannot change. And he is the same forever. And get this. And when you ask in accordance with his word, he is eager to answer. And that has never changed. That is who our God is. We believe, we put our confidence in him, and we will not be put to shame. Four key truths about faith. Faith, to be genuine, must have action. It must believe. Faith must have an object, a focal point in which to direct its confidence. And faith, if it be real faith, will not waver from its focal point. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.